Yeah. No. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. What do yeah. We, I, I don't, I've never, I, you, no. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, that really oh, hey. kind of grosses me out. That was so organic. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie, and I'm too cool for love. Hi, I'm Molly, and like a lot of Marylanders, up until the age of 12, I was raised by a pack of wild crabs. <laughs> Welcome to season three. Yes, the tabloid, tabloid files. <laughs> files, sure. Um, so we want sure. to, uh, so this season, before we get into today's episode, which, spoiler alert, is going to be about feral children, Woo. before we start talking about that. Wild kids. Before we talk about wild kids, I wanted to talk a little bit about what listeners can expect. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We've got a new audio engineer with us, and she is crazy. She's crazy. I asked you if you wanted a lozenge before I'm so we started. I'm so rolling. Good, yeah. We're no. rolling. Get out of here. <laughs> fired. So we fired her. Good thing she left her equipment. We're off. To a start. <laughs> I think we can keep going. Keep going. I like it. Um, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that this room is a petri dish yeah. for healthy people like me. Yeah. That was when, like, all of a sudden my throat went dry. <laughs> <laughs> Do you what I have? I did just buy a bunch of cough drops. I am good. Okay. I saw it begin and I was like, there she goes. <laughs> did I look like Yes. Yeah. And I was like, keep <laughs> going. <laughs> you looked at me and you were like, roll. <laughs> Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about our plan for season three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so last last season, we did a lot of ghost stories, a lot of older stories, a lot of folk tales, yep. urban legends. And uh, this this season, we wanted to keep it going with sort of creepy, spooky, weird, off-the-wall topics, but we wanted to do more conspiracy theories and more things that are ripped from the headlines, like more modern, ongoing, developing stories. Yes. Some of the things we wanted to cover were uh, Tiffany Trump. What's going on there? What's her deal? Pizzagate. That's conspiracy theory that my dad loves and believes in. And I want to get into that. Yeah, we should. I want to unpack some stuff there. Um, Also, uh, global warming. Another thing my dad fully does not believe in. Um, Season three. Take that, dad. (laughs) The other Yeah, that's that's the subtitle to this. Underlying theme. There's a conspiracy theory that some friends of ours were telling us about uh, where birds don't exist. They were all killed off in the 60s and replaced by government robots that are surveilling us all the time. We'll be having them on for that episode. Right. So we've got some really interesting guests and really interesting topics lined up. Mm -hmm. If you, listener, have any topics that are sort of in this wheelhouse that you want us to talk about, Email yanopodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. We read all the emails. We love getting emails, comments, mm-hmm. questions, concerns, and just ideas if you have any, for the love yeah. of God. Because, like, God it, help us. It's honestly like <laughs> a lot of Googling going on. Like, my fingers are bloody stumped. So, if you guys could help, that would be perfect. <laughs> Do one thing for us. Yeah. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash. No, just kidding. We're not on Patreon. No, we're not. We're we not. We wouldn't do that tools. to you. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Yano yeah no Pod and Instagram is at Yano yeah Podcast. 
Fantastic. Okay. So, Katie, what got us interested in feral children? You had, this was your idea. Yes. When we had it, we had a brainstorm meeting and I shouted, feral children, and right. started foaming at the mouth. Yeah. Um, I, so living with my grandma from, or, you know, on and off, we love watching weird shows together, uh, murder, you, et cetera. You lived on and off with your grandma and the rest of the time you were being raised by wolves. Wolves, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like when I wasn't with wolves, I was with my grandma. Yeah. And we, <laughs> I remember, I remember vividly the story of one specific feral wild child uh, and we watched, my grandma and I watched a documentary. It, it has haunted me for uh, since, I don't know, 15 years now. We watched it 15 years ago, and this is, but the story's older than that. Um, and so I wanted to ask my grandma about it, and I <laughs> said to her, I have to read our conversation, um, and I said, what made you watch that documentary with me about Jeannie, the feral child? And she said, what are, what are you talking about? This was on Instant Messenger. And then the next day, not whatever, Facebook, and then the next day I was like, I'm going to give her a day. I just, ha like, and I said, like, do you really not remember? Like I, it's all I can think about most days. And she said, didn't know her name, but yeah, sure, interesting story. Read about, I read a lot about other feral children after that. And I said, great, we're doing an episode about feral children this weekend. Do you have any comments? She said, yes, drop the F words. They break up the concentration. And I said, that's not what I meant. Uh, do you have any comments about feral children? She said, yes, they're wild. So since my grandma <laughs> is a true monster, uh, I ended up, and she refused to help me, I ended up researching, and this is, I have a retelling of Jeannie, the feral child. A retelling, you mean a carefully researched presentation. Yes. Yeah. Um, I also did some research into Jeannie because I knew this You know how happen. this goes. Um, and I also, I'm going to be fact-checking you Good. as you talk. Um, but yeah, your grandmother, Nancy, has given us a lot of creative direction for this season. Yeah. And one of the things that she's constantly or uh, frequently mentioned us is she doesn't like when we say the F word. Um, which we have done a lot in the past. Yes. And my whole thing was that is like with that, it's like I wasn't raised by wolves, but I was raised by potty mouths. Yes, you did say that. And it's just it's tough for me to not to not be as explicit. Of course. But you know we're gonna try for Nancy. For Nancy, Nance, uh, this one's for you. <laughs> this one is absolutely for you. Um, so you, so tell me about Jeannie. Let's just get into Jeannie. So I remember the only thing I had never known about her before, and then I watched the doc, we watched the documentary. It was on TLC, I guess, 2003. It's called Jeannie, Secret of the Wild Child. Oh my God. And Jeannie is a pseudonym, by the way. Yes. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Not important. Yeah. Uh, so I have some, I'm going to, I'm going to read you some basic facts. Feel okay. free to jump in. Yeah. Um, born in 1957, mm -hmm. was the victim of severe childhood abuse. So this is not a found in the woods child. This is a right. This is actually a really sad story. It is a very sad story. Sorry to do this. So the what's interesting about Jeannie is that she like there's throughout history there have always been children who have been found in the woods. Yeah. And uh, people who come across these children who appear to be living with animals, mm -hmm. and they say what's going on here and then uh, it's a question of like how much can these children be rehabilitated and join the normal civilized 
world. So actually, before we talk too much about Jeannie, why don't we talk a little bit about some of those kids that were I like that. in the wild. Because then I think people will get Jeannie's deal. Yeah. So uh, one of the most interesting examples I found that's one of the earlier well-documented feral children was Victor of Aveyron, Aveyron in France. Sure. Uh, he was captured in the woods in 1800. Oof. And at that time, the Enlightenment was in full swing, and all these physicians were fascinated that there was this wild boy. Because at the time, they were, they were pondering these philosophical questions, like, what makes a human a human? So they were trying to study him mm-hmm. to figure out what it is, like, if he could be rehabilitated, and to what extent growing up in the woods had stripped him of his humanity. So they come in with all these lofty philosophical questions, and they eventually conclude that mm. Victor is a moron. And all that that's their official thing is like, he's an no, idiot. No, he's just dumb. He's dumb, forget <laughs> it. But one doctor is still interested, and his name was Jean-Marc Gaspard Itard. And he tried to teach him language, and okay. it wasn't easy. Um, <laughs> no. So with the help, he was also working with uh, his house keeper, Madame Grant, who was basically his babysitter, who was mm-hmm. really the one who was raising him and dealing with him on the day-to-day basis. And she did eventually teach him how to set a table. Okay. He never learned to talk. But could he set but a, he for dinner for four? Set a table. <laughs> and so they were, so one of the things that Itard wanted to find out is if he could learn to feel compassion and empathy for other people. Okay. And at one point, Madame Grant's husband died. But uh, Victor, who, by the way, Victor was a name that Itard gave him. Before then, uh, the French villagers who found him just called him the Wolf Boy. And he was just known as the Wolf Boy. (laughs) I mean, you know what? If he didn't want to be known as a Wolf Boy, what are you doing with all those wolves? (laughs) So so at one point, he's laying the table as usual after Mr. Garant has passed away. And when when he puts down Mr. Garant's... Ta- a plate and spoon or whatever, um, Dam Grant starts crying. And then uh, Victor looks at her, realizes what's happening, and like takes the plate away and puts it away. And he and they sort of read a lot into that. Of yeah. Like, oh, he's learned. He knows how his actions are affecting other people, and he feels bad. And they basically, they made a big deal out of right. that. Um, but he did, uh, so Itard lost interest in him. All doctors eventually stopped researching him. Um, but he lived with Madame Grant, uh, I think for a while at least, and did le- live to be 40. And oh. did live with people. Where he was always kind of being cared for, but he did more or less reintegrate. He was how old when he was found? He was 12 when they found yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. You can't teach language after that age. That's, we're going to get into that. And so that's something that Jeannie yes, will Yes, that's what we'll in. talk about. That's what we'll talk about. Um, some other, there were some interesting hoaxes okay. along the way. Um, Joseph Amrito Singh uh, was a man in India. He was a rector of an orphanage. And he said that he had rescued girls who were being nursed in a wolf den. Oh. Yeah, he said, like, oh, yeah, they're being suckled by wolves. And I found them, and I saved them. And they... <laughs> Tore uh, them from that, the teeth, yeah. and here they are. <laughs> he said that they scratched, bit, walked on all fours, and were nocturnal. 
So people were obviously 1920. People are still very interested in this question of like what happens to children raised by animals. But they came and they couldn't verify (laughs) his story outside of him. It was just him like waving around these two weird kids. (laughs) Like, yep, wolves. I figured it out. And they're like, we're just weird. (laughs) My favorite one was the tale of the Nullaborn nymph. Oh, God. In Australia. Mm -hmm. In 1971, some professional... professional In the 70s. Kangaroo shooters in the 70s um, from Eucla, Australia, said that they saw a blonde woman cavorting around with kangaroos. Um, And then in the TLC (laughs) documentary that I watched about this, uh, about feral children, there's this lecherous old Australian man who says, she was blonde, medium build, nicely developed. Me? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. And so all these journalists uh, started, and tourists started coming to Eucla, which was a tiny, tiny town. It had a population of eight. Shut up. And so Half I don't know how they figured it out, but it was. It turned out <laughs> that the woman. So they took a picture of a girl in kangaroo pelt, and they were like, "Oh, the, and that's how she arrived in the tabloids as a newborn nymph." Um, but that woman who was photographed what turned out to be the girlfriend of one of the kangaroo shooters. Um, and this was to bring popularity to kangaroo. And this was to, to get kangaroos. anyone else to Euclid. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Eight people isn't enough. What do we do? <laughs> I know. You're hot. Put on a kangaroo skirt. Pretend you were fucking a kangaroo. Is that the point? <laughs> no. Oh. The I point is thought that she's of this. Ra- that the idea that with the story that they were selling is that she was raised by kangaroos. Yeah. So she just sort of. And she looked. Was. Well nourished. Yeah. Um, one of my the so another story that you probably came across was the um, from those uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. In the dark, um, there was a, a wolf girl story yes. in there where there's that picture that I tweeted um, where there's that <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, where uh, one of those illustrations where it's this horrifying mm-hmm. little sketchy girl little wolf. weirdo. So that is a real folktale that has been uh, documented in the um, in the Texas Folklore Society and there's a story of John and Molly Dent who came from Georgia, uh-huh. who met in Georgia in 1830, and they got married. Um, around the time they got married, John had a, was a beaver trapper, okay. um, and he was, uh, he was selling beaver pelts, and he'd gotten in a fight with his beaver pelt partner. Sure. And, it's not easy. <laughs> and he had stabbed him over it, murdered oh him. Murdered his murdered his uh, his business partner. Yeah. And so he took Molly and they lit out for the wilds of West Texas. <laughs> and they went and they found a settlement that was just uh, Indians and settlers. Comanche, I believe, were the Native Americans who would have been around there at that time. And they uh, they set up in a cabin. And then around 1835, Molly was going to give birth. And so John went to find some other pioneers in the area to come and help. Yeah. He shows up at this nearby village, says, uh, hey, I need help. My wife's giving birth. At that moment, struck by lightning. He was struck by lightning. Explodes into a million pieces. Wow. So no one knew. So people are trying to find, they still are like, oh, we got to go find this woman. Yeah. And so they go and they try to find her and it takes them a day. And by the time they get to Molly, she's dead. And the baby is gone. But they see wolf tracks in the area, and they figure Eaten wolves got her. Wolf. Yeah. So, but then around uh, five or six years later, some people 
uh, some wolves come and attack a herd of goats that's at the settlement. And among the wolves, they see a little girl running and, like, feeding on the goats and, like, ripping them apart with her little <laughs> kindergartner <laughs> jaws. <laughs> Sounds pretty cute, honestly. Sounds so cute. Yeah. So then around seven years la- later, they see this girl again with this pack of wolves, and a group of men captures her, and they drag her, snarling, uh, back to a cabin where they tie her in a room. And they're deciding, what do we do about this wolf girl? You know, it's kind yeah. of like an interesting uh, problem to have. Um, and then the pack of wolves comes and attacks their horses and, like, creates a distraction. So the wolf girl escapes and runs back out to join her pack. And there she goes. And there she goes. And then they said about another ten years later, they said that she was spotted suckling some wolf cubs. <laughs> How that works out, biologically, <laughs> we are left to guess. But this is, like, a, a story People that... love the idea of kids. Yes. Being raised by so, people don't yeah. want to raise their own kids, so, so they love this idea. That story has been <laughs> every parent fantasizes. They're like, wish I could throw you to a. Pack. <laughs> My mom would say, "I want to throw you to a pack of wolves." Yeah. I don't think she meant for me to be raised. Right, just <laughs> just eat me alive. Just whatever they want to do, I'll let them <laughs> figure it out. So that was a story that originated, you know, 1830s That's Texas, insane. and now it's in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and it's been fed to our generation. It is Isn't scary. That, it's really interesting that that's uh, that that story has lasted for so, so long. Long, yeah. Um, my favorite story of it a feral really child. Yeah, and this is gonna <laughs> lift us up before you bring us. Yeah, I'm gonna right bring down. us real down. <laughs> uh, oh, actually, yeah, I did want to talk about Oksana Mayala. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was born in 1983, Ukraine. And this is, her story is similar to a lot of stories coming out of the Ukraine and the USSR, uh, the former Soviet Union. Russia, as Ever kids hear of like it? to call it. <laughs> um, so Aksana, Where are you from? <laughs> the past. Um, so she, at around three years old, her extremely alcoholic parents kicked her out of the house. And she went and she cuddled up with a mongrel dog that lived outside. And she said that the dog nursed right. her. How old was she? Uh, three at the time. Okay. So she, so they show footage of her in Aww. this TLC documentary, and at the time she was, whenever the documentary was made, she would have been about eighteen or nineteen. Um, and sh- they show her like running on all fours and like snarling like a dog, and she's very like into this lifestyle. She's, I think yeah. that Oksana could talk at some point, but she very much prefers to be a dog, like wow. with other dogs. Um, and there were honestly a bunch of stories like that, where it's just like in these areas where it's like there's a lot of alcoholism and a lot of feral dogs. This has happened more than once. Thank God for the fucking dogs. Yeah. No, I went into this thinking like this whole like children raised by wolves or monkeys or whatever. It's just like a, or it was just a legend. It's not. It's really not. It's going on as we speak. Oh, my God. God. It's very possible. But the best story, I think, out of all this is John Sabunia, <laughs> who uh, it starts out rough. He's about three years old. He's living in Uganda, and they think that when he was about three, he witnessed his father murder his mother. Great. And at that point, he flees into the jungle. At three? At three. There I go. Okay. Yeah. But he, he think he... It's speculated that he thought, you know, I'm next. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So he... Uh, so... He meets a pack of 
green verret monkeys. Oh my god. And he says that he has vague recollections of them giving him food. No. And then uh, about a year later, or three years later, I think, he's discovered by villagers living with monkeys. And the whole time they've been like hanging out with Stop. him, help, yeah, helping him find food. And uh, when villagers come and try to take John away from the monkeys, the monkeys flip out. They're like, leave, that's yeah. our son. They're like, How that's cute our is monkey that? baby. Um, so monkeys are cool. No, they, they really, I mean, <laughs> green verret monkeys. Are cool. Yeah, some are disgusting. Yeah, ver- verret, I think that's right. Um, if you're going to get kidnapped by monkeys, you this, want these These guys. are the ones. Um, so he did learn to speak. So I guess three, it's like, I that guess makes sense. Enough. Um, he, uh, was later adopted by a British couple. Uh, his names are Paul and Molly. Um, oh, Molly is involved to... in this. Oh my God. You're right. Two Mollies with two. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so he went on to, he was a member of the Pearl of Africa's Children's Choir and participated in the Special Olympics. What so I guess angel. like he must have had some kind of handicap, but he's fine. My point is. He's fine. He's great. Oh, I forgot, like, when we talked about feral children, I immediately had uh, a memory. Oh, my God, yeah, I was going to ask you. So, as our longtime <laughs> listeners know, I was homeschooled from the uh, age of six until I went to community college in 11th or 12th, uh, 11th, what your people call 11th grade. Okay. And then I went to college right after that. I don't have a GED or a high school diploma. I uh, just have a bachelor's degree. Is that legal? Don't worry about it. Let's I've move on. I called the police. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so a lot of like a lot of people know about homeschooling. It's a lot of very religious people and a lot of like strict giant families um, doing this kind of like doomsday prepper fantasy life style. <laughs> um, but there's Cosplay. also like this. There is like a fringe of people who are more like Wiccan, unschooler, Hari Krishna. Mm whatever like it's just there's people on the fringe who are not christian who are just who just don't want to follow the rules yeah and so when (laughs) i was an early homeschooler i was hanging out with this group of people and in that group there was a girl who we're gonna call libby okay libby was being raised by a parent who had this philosophy that um Libby should just be able to make her own choices in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she ran around barefoot. Okay. Um, wouldn't wear shoes, even in the winter. Um, <laughs> and I have this distinct memory. I would have been around 9 or 10 at this point, and we were hanging out like a homeschool co-op get-together. And she was pretending to be a dog. And she was hiding under one of the tables and uh-huh. snarling. And I think I went to, like, pet the dog or maybe <laughs> offer the dog a Ritz cracker. I don't know what I was up to. But my hand went toward her and she bit my finger as hard as she could. And, like, it was gushing blood. And there was, like, a real dent in it. And I was, like... She scre- broke skin. Yeah. And I was, like, screaming. And my mom came. And she was, like, oh, wow. I can't believe an 11-year-old bit, bit you. you. <laughs> and her mom heard that she had done this. And she said, Libby. And that was it. <laughs> because Libby got to make her own decisions. Um, I remember there was another point. Just let wolves raise her. Like, yeah. honestly. My mom was reminding me of a bunch of stuff. And there was one point where we were doing, like, this homeschool archaeology activity. Okay. And there was, like, a pile of dirt and hay near our excavation site. And she said, 
I'm going to get as dirty as possible. <laughs> and then she just rolled around in the dirt until she was just like head to toe covered in dirt. And that was like her activity for the day. Yeah. Who's to say that she didn't get more out of that than like reading or whatever? I mean, uh, no one's to say, but like, what are we, I don't know if she knows how to speak. Experts? I think she it worked out. She went to high school. She became a goth. Good. It all oh, out. that was exactly her trajectory. <laughs> At one point, we were doing uh, classes in like a little Catholic school building, and she uh, set up a golden calf outside of the Catholic church to as an idol to worship. It was very satanic. That was pretty cool. Actually. That's actually cool. <laughs> <laughs> There's another point where we all were like having s'mores and she like got into the chocolate and ate it all. And uh, no one could have s'mores because, and we looked at Libby and she was just like covered in chocolate. She was pretty gross. <laughs> she sounds but that's great. The, that's the closest I've ever come to a feral child. What about, what about you? Close to a feral child? I just yeah. feel like every guy I've ever dated <laughs> is yeah. honestly... Feral. I. They're all in this feral. I have spectrum. an ex. I won't say his name, but I think we all know. Um, <laughs> he like would p- pick his nose and wipe it anywhere. Jesus. Yeah, just like boogers on fingers, wipe it on a sheet. Boogers on fingers, wipe it under a table. Just like things I've never thought of doing. Yeah. Cause like I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't raised by a barn animal. Yeah. So I, uh, I think men, men, men are my most, yeah, feral children in my life. And that's you know that's enough. I don't need any more. Yeah. So now that we've laughed and we didn't even deserve to. Yeah. Let's talk about Jeannie. Yeah. Uh, so like I said before, this is not found in the woods. This is sad, uh, severe. This is abuse. like what happens when you're completely neglected. Yes, neglect. When you are just neglected beyond all beliefs. So she was born in 1957. Uh, There was probably already some sort of delay in growth and learning because she, the reason she was put into weird solitude in their house in a very small room, I think it was like three by 10 feet. Yeah, 10 feet, 10 feet square. Like Mm -hmm. it was just very small. Um, Her father suspected she had some mental slowness and just wasn't into her, like, wasn't into her. Let her just sort of grow in that room. Uh, what I read was that, and I kind of remember this from the film, the father was the primary abuser, but the mom and brother didn't help. So my understanding is she was discovered in 1970, and I think how she was That's, discovered was really interesting. Yeah, that I have the rescue of her. Yeah. So, um, so she was, yeah, so she was found then, and her mom was going to go pick up disability uh, checks and that's yeah. when you had to go to the disability office in the 70s and like you know sort of prove you couldn't work right. and she walked into the wrong department because she was I don't know blind because she was blind yeah she had horrible cataracts so she, that, it was cataracts I, yes so you're right she was in an abusive rela- relationship with the with father Clark w- Riley mm-hmm. I believe his name was and uh, so they had gotten into a, one of their Wiley. many domestic Wiley mm-hmm. they had gotten into their many one of their many domestic disputes and he had left at yep. that point and that's why she was like I'm she was able to take Jeannie and go right and so as soon as she went into the office the woman uh, whoever social worker Irene was talking to her she mentioned Jeannie's age mm-hmm. as 13 and that's and when she... the social worker said 
oh, oh no, no. <laughs> because she was the size of a seven-year-old yeah she was four six and under 60 pounds just under 60 pounds yeah which is incredibly small when you think about what a 13 year old should look like yeah um yes yeah, so when she left uh wiley the father she didn't immediately go so that i'm always like why you know but i guess yeah the blindness doesn't help to know that your kid looks and needs help um yeah, so then, you know, this obviously, like, got a lot of doctors interested. Yeah. And uh, she could not speak at all and yeah. was completely incontinent. Would, you know, obviously use the rest, like, just mm-hmm. mess because herself. in this tiny room... She, would she just was, had a toilet. She had a toilet and a bed, and mm-hmm. she was either strapped, kind of caged yep. into this bed or... Or caged onto the toilet yeah. so she wouldn't mess. Tied which, onto yeah. the toilet. So she also, I, from sitting... Or, you know, only having, like, either laying down or sitting, her bones sort of were structured that she couldn't quite stand fully erect. Mm-hmm. Um, and they described her as having somewhat of, like, a bunny walk. And I remember yeah. a picture of it. And her arms are outstretched. It, it is, like, scary when yeah. you think and when you see it. And her arms are outstretched and she's got sort of claw-like and kind of hops and weirdly wobbles. Um, so she really couldn't move on her own, shied away from touch. Much like, you know, I'm sure like the first feral kid you talked about, they're, mm-hmm. you know, not like obviously like compassionate, yeah. you know, like not uh, no sort of obvious connection to people. Yeah. Um, if anything, like a total aversion. Yeah. Um, the doctor's name was Dr. James Kent. It's important to mention him because he really cared yeah. a yeah. lot about Jeannie. Yeah. He like fought for her for like so long. Um, so yeah, I think what we talked about in the beginning was like, after a certain age, I feel like you just can't teach someone to speak. So that's something that he talks about. And then another linguist who worked with her was Susan Curtis. And yeah, they're, Susan they're Curtis. And they're in the TLC documentaries being like big advocates for her. Huge. So something that he talks about that's really interesting in the documentary that I watched, or actually no, sorry, that was Dr. Bruce Perry in the documentary that I mm-hmm. was watching from TLC. He talks about how the neural systems responsible for language, um, when they're not stimulated, that part of the brain physically changes. Okay. And that unstimulated brains are smaller. So in case of extreme neglect like this, they actually have smaller brains. Okay. And uh, so, and there's uh, these things in childhood development that they call critical windows, where it's like when you're a baby, this is when you acquire language. And so what's so interesting to me about this is you mentioned that her father said like, oh, she was mentally deficient mm-hmm. when she was born, which how could you know that? From we don't. At? Yeah. So Susan Curtis, her theory was that she wasn't. At all. I believe that. I think that, he was just a bad guy. Yeah, that Susan Curtis says she was of average intelligence. Mm-hmm. They had so besides what's so bizarre also is that they the Wileys had an older son. Son who ran away. Who ran away and was living with other people mm-hmm. at the point when this happened, when Jeannie was discovered. But um but he appears to not have had such a strange relationship with his father. Yeah. Or at least we not could never as, know why. At least not as abusive. So it's not really clear why that she Jeannie would have been mentally was and why she was singled out for this kind of abuse. But yeah. so they don't um so Susan Curtis uh was the person who was in char- uh, who was on the team of scientists mm-hmm. working to see if Jeannie could 
learn language. Yep. And she did learn a lot of words, and she acquired a pretty big vocabulary. But then this is what this, I don't know, this really got to me for some reason. At one point, um, Susan said, language is not words, language is grammar. And that's I remember something, And that's something in the <laughs> critical that you get in that critical window when you're a teeny yes. tiny child. Some, the neural pathways that allow you to put words in a certain order, that is really important. That is really and important. And I always thought, I always think about when this kind of thing comes up, I always think about with like little kids, how like people always talk to babies like, are you going to get your ball? Yeah. And, blah, blah. and I always thought like it's really strange how people talk in those pitches. But when you talk like yep. that, it emphasizes certain parts of speech mm-hmm. and it makes it easier for babies. To... They're very attracted to that sound. Yeah. And it, they can absorb it. Yeah. And it's funny when people say, I hate baby talk, I'm like, you should do it to a baby. It doesn't matter if you like it. Like, they don't respond. I talk. Could you imagine being a baby listening to me? Oh Monotone and deep. When? Yeah. Mommy, help. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, like, hi, mom. You know, like, that's so attractive to them. Yeah, yeah. That part is. I wonder if they used that on Jeannie. I don't know how they spoke to her. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know if they get they went into it that deeply. Um, but, but Susan Curtis is one of the people who's really advocating mm-hmm. for her. And uh, it's this very sad story where eventually, um, so Jeannie was living with scientists basically when she was, from the time she was made a ward of the state until she turned 18. Mm -hmm. When she was, when she turned 18, Irene, her mom, took back over and after a couple months said that she didn't want to raise or deal with Jeannie anymore. It was too much for her, which is pretty understandable. Um, Oh, we didn't mention her dad. Her dad, before being brought to court for child abuse charges, shot himself. Good. Yeah. And then her mom was found not guilty because she had been being abused by the dad for so long that it was like, it's not her fault. I get it. Still sad. (laughs) Yeah. So she decides she doesn't want to be in charge of Jeannie, but then sues uh, the scientist Mm -hmm. to keep them away from her. Mm -hmm. And Susan wanted to adopt her, Mm -hmm. or at least be some guardian. Yeah, she did. No, she did want to be her guardian. Yeah. That part's very sad. And it's like, that is neglect, mom. Like you not letting her get the help she needs now at this point is neglect. Guilty. Yeah. (laughs) Gavel, gavel, gavel. I mean... Oh, one quick thing about her early rehabilitation I thought was really interesting was that despite... This is a quote. Despite early tests confirming that Jeannie had normal vision in both eyes, she could not focus them on anything more than 10 feet away, um, which is the corresponding dimensions of the room her father kept her in. And I just find vision and stuff like that so interesting. Like, you've never seen outside of a 10-foot square room like, of course, like, you can't, yeah, it just, that was crazy to me. Yeah. It, she is still a ward of the state to this day. Yeah, she's somewhere in California, but. We're thinking of her. Yeah, so. That one bums me out. Have, have you know, talk to a baby. At talk some to point a baby to a day. today. Or whenever. Yeah. Thank a dog for raising your kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, write us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you thought about this episode and what you want to hear in the future. And uh, don't lend men any money. Never lend a man any money. (laughs) They let them lend you money. (laughs) 